Well, we're going to take a couple weeks, a few week breaks from 1 Corinthians. We'll be back in it after Easter. Today we're going to do something, we're going to talk about something that many of you are probably very familiar with and some of you have no idea what we're talking about. But first, before we get there, I've got to tell you a little bit of story about myself. About nine years ago, uh, my wife Jen and I both had this really interesting opportunity. We were actually at a conference where, where we both kind of left the conference feeling like God was stirring in us to do something. Both of us at the exact same time. And I remember sitting there just like kind of weeping and watching her weep. I'm like, I wonder what the Lord's doing. And, and we came out, we were like getting ready to finally have a spot to share our stories. And we were like, this is going to be amazing. At least in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to feel this and she's going to feel this. And I'm like, I feel like the Lord is stirring in me to plant a church. She's like, really? That's not at all what I'm hearing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's, that's not what I was thinking either. Maybe I was wrong. She says, I feel like we have to do something with the 38 million sex trafficked people in this world. And so we both came out stirred by this conference and felt like, okay, something needed to happen. So we both committed to be praying and to think about, like, how, how, in, the, how in the world are we going to attack this and do these things? And so I, at the time I was at the church, and I was, like, hitting with some of the leaders and, like, hey, can we figure out a way to do something here? And she's praying through, and we started talking about potentially doing something locally with traffic victims and realized as we were praying and praying and praying, started getting a little bit of traction. And then a year later, we went to the same conference, right, the exact same conference, and and the same thing happened again, except for this time I didn't come out with church plane. I came out with, I really feel like we're supposed to do something with these traffic victims, with these people around the world. They said, at that time, they said 38 million people are trafficked for sex in this world. And it's like, we, 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 can't, we can't ignore it. My wife at this point was no longer like, like, no longer just disheartened, but she was like enamored, like this, something's got to happen. And at the same time, we started praying at, through this time, we started praying through the church plant, realized that both were happening. And so we started having this question. It's kind of like, well, do, you wanna, do, you wanna, do we want to really start a church and start a nonprofit locally at the exact same time? Or do we want to give ourselves to doing those things either way? Like, how are we going to find the time to do both of these with our young families and no income and, and, and what it's going to take to get people on board? And as we prayed through, well, so you guys know, obviously, we did plant a church um, seven years ago. As we prayed through, we realized, I think that, that they aren't mutually exclusive. I think that there's, there's a way for us to, to do both, but, but to do a lot more for both because of the fact that we won't be doing it on our own. And so seven years ago when we planted Revolution 22, we said with uh, us and a few of the leadership team, like, hey, we want to be really, really intentional. The church is supposed to be on mission. We're supposed to do missions. We're supposed to be active in the justice issues. We're supposed to be active in, in meeting needs. But we want to be really, really specific and really, really picky. We don't want to spread ourselves too thin to a thousand different things. We want to dig as deep as possible in just a few areas. And we want to do it where we're not going to just throw money, but we want to do it where we're actually going to engage relationally, where it's no longer just us doing something, but it's us applying what God has commanded us to do with family. And so I'm going to read with you real quickly a text that, that affirms what I feel like the Lord has commanded of us. And this is, just, this is Jesus speaking. It's kind of the end where he's literally just kind of one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another, talking about this. And he, he comes back and he talks about this final judgment. And he says, look, at the final judgment day, there's the Son of Man. Jesus is going to separate. He's going to separate the goats and the sheep. The sheep are going to be on his right. The goats are going to be on his left. The sheep will be the righteous. The goats will not be. And he picks up and he says, and this is what he will say to them in verse 34 of, of chapter 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now this text is, is not a description of how salvation happens. Let me be really clear. Jesus is, is speaking about what I believe is, is a, an application to those who are saved. He's speaking specifically. In this text, he says brothers. So in this text, he's actually speaking about those that are in Christ. There are plenty of scriptures. We see in Psalm 3510, God is about us meeting the needs of those who are less than fortunate, who have less, who are the least, who would be considered a lower class than us. There's scripture upon scripture, Proverbs, and, and, and all sorts of Old Testament, New Testament scriptures that talk about our, our command to go and meet these needs, to be these, so the proverbial hands or feet of Jesus as we carry the Spirit of God inside of us, moving from place to place. But this text specifically, Jesus is speaking to his righteous and the unrighteous. And he's saying that there's a differentiating point between the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not that these works are what save them. That was through faith alone. We are justified by Jesus Christ. It's the recognition that those that have the salvation of Jesus Christ will be not only compelled, but desire to meet the needs of the least of these. That means that when we we walk past someone on the street and they're holding a sign, we don't judge them or condemn them, we pray for them. You know, I heard it said this way one time. A lot of people say, well, you know, if you give money to a homeless person, they're just going to use it for alcohol or something else. I just... So I just, it's just not a good investment of, of God's kingdom money. I just, I don't picture God in heaven going, thank you for your shrewdness. I see him saying, I will reward those for your labor. And so there's this, this text that confronts us with the fact that Jesus is saying, look, there's a way in which the saved will look. There's a way in which those who know Jesus Christ will operate in this broken world. And it's not just an emotional tie, and it's not just a periodic check it off the box when we serve the city once a quarter. No, it's, it's a, my life will be transformed by the holy God, and I will want to see his holiness move forward into this dark, dark world. And so we are commanded by God as his children to meet the needs of our brothers and our sisters, and commanded to be hope for those that aren't even yet our brothers and sisters. So Jesus says that this is, this is it. The least of these refers to anyone in a variety of needy situations. This one, they were hungry, thirsty, impoverished, sick, imprisoned. I think we could add enslaved to that. Jesus said that those who cared for such individuals were not merely serving other people, but they were serving him. I mean, there's not a motivation in us meeting the needs of people that are struggling around us. That should be it. It's that it really has nothing to do with those people. It has everything to do with our Lord. Jesus connected service to the needy with eternal rewards and punishment, even though salvation is by faith alone, apart from good works. We see in Titus 14, those whose lives are marked by apathy towards the needy show that they have not been transformed by the grace of God. And so, so why, why talk about this text today? Why, why, 
why push on this? Well, we've been, for the better part of seven years now, we have as a church, not, not me, not Jen and I in our story, but as a church, we have been heavily invested both financially and relationally in a ministry in Novotis in the Philippines, a province just north of Manila. And, and in, this, in this story, when we first started this church, we were, we were compelled to say, okay, well, we need to start looking. So as a leadership team and, and the el- a couple of the elders we had, we started like, okay, well, what do we want to do? And I just said, hey, I really feel like it'd be awesome to do something with traffic victims. And they said, hey, us too. And one of the elders was like, hey, I know a guy who just started a ministry. It's called Wipe Every Tear. And they do some work in the Philippines. What if we, what if we just went with him and just, just, just saw something? So in 2012, that's what we did. A few of us, three of us went to the Philippines. And I'll, and I'll say this, like I've done many short-term missions and I led a bunch of them um, to Mexico and we do a bunch of stuff with students. I've done years of, of missions work, kind of this, this idea of short-term, but what I was not prepared for what I experienced there. I was not prepared to be completely destroyed. I mean destroyed to the core, to where like I came back angry and bitter and frustrated with myself and the lack of apathy or the, the, the immense apathy that had been shown in my life. I was, I was just tormented by, by the mistakes in my own life of how I claim a Christ, but yet I had just been so ignorant and unaware of this. Now, let me say this. I know a bunch of you are like, well, hey, easy on yourself, Brent. You didn't, you didn't know about it. Yeah, in some ways I didn't experience it like that, but I knew about it. I'd seen the, the, the graphics or the Facebook articles or the, I've heard pastors speak about it and I've seen missionaries, I've talked to missionaries, I've seen all those things, but I did like most of us. I felt bad and to, to appease that feeling, I gave some money to it or I checked it off and went and did something periodically to help. Okay, I, I did that. I checked my box, I hit the missions button for this month or this year. Whew, I can breathe easy now. But in, in Novotis, what what... What threw us away is, is Kenny at Wipe Every Tear, what he did is he kind of did this exploratory trip. And so he took us all over. We started in Manila and he started with this Hope House. At that time, they had three girls, three girls that had been in trafficking situations. They'd been working in bars, selling themselves for sex, and they were now, as a part of as following the Lord, being healed, they were now going back into the bars and trying to tell other girls there's a way out for you. And so he said, I want you guys to come with us to do that. Now, I'll tell you right now, that was not something I was prepared for. That was something I was not prepared for because they took us in and we had, we had these, these, these wonderful, like, I mean, singing, you know, there's no place I'd rather be. I think we sing that song today. That's the first, I remember weeping because these girls were, were belting that to the top of their lungs before we even went into the bars. These girls that had been trafficked for most of their life now freed. And in the bars, we, we, we spent some time in the bars and what I realized is there were just a bunch of Filipino girls in bikinis with numbers on them. And all you had to do is point. I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. And then we would see these girls come over and Ate Becky and a number of the Filipinos would start telling them like, hey, we have a way out. We can get you education. We can help you. But most of those girls didn't want out because the money they were making there was better than they could make anywhere else. And that money was going to family or kids to support. And I remember just being frustrated saying like, wait, for, for $5 I could take this girl and I could take her to my hotel room and do whatever I wanted for the entire night. And yet there's not a week that goes by that I don't buy a $5 mocha in Boise. I just remember being like, this doesn't make sense. Something has to be done. And I unfortunately trapped you guys today by being here because now you're aware of it. So then in there, one of the things that Kenny did is he said, hey, I made a connection a long time ago through a volleyball camp to this, to this slum 
this place, this is Fishers of Christ Church. William and Mercy are there, um, and they're, they're just amazing people. This is William. Let me show you William. That's William, Pastor William. He's like 55 in that picture, just so you guys know. I mean, he looks like he's 20, but I, don't, I mean, he's probably 80 now. Who knows? But anyways, um, and then this is Mercy, his lovely wife, and then this is their whole family right here, minus the guy, the tall guy in the middle. He's just some pastor, but um, that's their whole family and their grand, two grandkids in there. That's the Goomba family. And so Kenny took us down there, and the whole point was, hey, we're going to go down to this area. This is the slums, and they're just, it's just broke upon broke. And I'm like, we're already seeing broke here. Like, this is, this is already disparity. And like, what do you mean? And then we got to Novotis, and the smell hit me. And, and I realized, oh, we're in a, we're in a different spot. And, and as we started talking to William and Mercy, they told us, yeah, this is the farming ground. The girls that you saw in Angeles City, they, they come from here. This is one of the areas that they come from. And I remember Dale, one of the elders that was with us, asked this question. He says, why aren't these kids in school? Like, is it summer break? And, and William said, well, because they can't afford it. And I just remember being stirred and stirred. And just to give you an idea, this is what Novotis looks like. That's Princess, by the way. That's one of our girls that we scholar. This is just a common street in Novotis, a couple other ones. There's the, the nice fresh water that overfills and then comes into the housing. That's how you get to that house is walking through that. Just filthy and poor. And then that $5 thing came up. We started walking around and visiting people. And I was just amazed. And I see this, this woman gather around this massive potato sack of garlic. And I was like, what is, she, what is she doing? And she's sitting there hand peeling the garlic. I was like, what is, what is she doing? And William's like, oh, that's, that's her job. That's the way she makes money. If she peels that whole bag, she'll make $5. I went, $5? That's not that much. In the bars, by the way, the $5 for the girl, she only got $2 of it. If I ordered an alcoholic drink, she'd get $3 of it. So to them, the alcohol was worth more than her body or herself. I agree. That's the same reaction I had. <laughs> and I was stirred by this. And so there's, there's, there's got to be something we do. There's got to be some way for us to, to, to do something instead of just being angry and frustrated and infuriated and almost feeling paralyzed by the immense need. And so we came back and we prayed and we started thinking about like, okay, how are we going to do this? And, and we said, okay, well, we're going to invest in Wipe Every Tear. I think, I think when we were a year old, we had 100 people in this church and we raised $36,000 to help buy a home for those girls to be in. Like 100 people in a church, $36,000. It was amazing. But we said, there's, 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 there's got to be other ways and more to do this. There's got to be something else we can do. And, and we were plagued by this question of school. And Dale said to them while we were there, he said, hey, pastor, I got a question for you. What would it take for them to get to school? And he said, well, the problem is, is that there's, there's fees. They have to have uniforms. And they have to have all these different things to get into school. And here's the worst part. He said, even if I can get that to them, most of these kids won't go to school if they can't have money for lunch because they don't want to be looked at as poor. How, how twisted is the enemy, Right? Just because they can't, I mean, no one in that place is rich, but because they couldn't have a meal a day, they wouldn't go to school. And so we said, well, what if we, what if we threw some money at this? Like, could we throw some money? Could we, could we help this problem? Because, because if this is the farming ground, like what Wipe Every Tear is doing is, 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 is extraction. IJM is, is doing, breaking down all the underage ones. And there's, there's a million NGOs doing a brilliant work in all over the world, especially in the, in the Philippines. And each one of them are necessary because they're attacking it in different ways. And what I realized is it wasn't, it wasn't our job to, to end $38 million. It was our job to be faithful with one. And so as we prayed about it, we said, well, let's just, let's just throw them some money. Let's, well, here, put 10 kids in school. And so a few of us just kind of raised some money. They didn't even bring it up to the church. They said, let's just put them in school and see what happens. And it was like $2,500, and 10 kids went to school that year. And William and Mercy decided, well, you know, we've never had 
anything like that here, but okay. And so they, William and Mercy said, instead of giving the money, we're going to give them weekly allotment. They have to come to church. We'll be really strict on how we operate this way. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense to me, but, but you know your people. And so we, we continue to do that. And year after year, this is the seventh year we've done that. But we, our, our mission, when we talk about it there, isn't for us to go and feel good about ourselves. Our mission isn't even really to do something. Even though I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact that we're going to take a trip there again in January and February in just a second. But it's not so that we can go and do something and feel good about ourselves. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus by partnering with and empowering the local church body in the Philippines. We're not going to put our agenda there. We're going to continue to ask them to be faithful to who God has made them because these are our brothers and sisters and they are the least of these and so as a church, we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to invest in this. We're going to invest. And I remember sitting down with Pastor William and Mercy and saying, what do you want from us? Because, because I've done the whole, like, hey, I'm going to bring a bunch of people, and I'm going to build houses, I'm going to do these things, and then I've left, and I've never, ever had anything. He said, there's two things, Brenda, I want from you, more than money. And I said, what's that? He said, I want to see you every year. I want people to keep coming back. And I said, Pastor, we can, I mean, it costs like, you know, 1500 bucks, $2,000 to go. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. There are many people that come and go and do all kinds of ministries, but they come and they leave and there's no relationship. I want family. I said, I want you to be so tied to us that this is home. Not in a way that you're going to be throwing money to solve a problem, but instead you're going to recognize that you need to continue to pray for us. Someone that we can reach out to when we're struggling and just say, hey, pray for us in this way. I want it to be so tight-knit that every single year when we see you, we, we, we ball when we leave. That's what I want. And the second thing I want is I want you guys to help us meet the needs that we feel like God is commanding us to meet. And so we did that. We started a scholarship system. And I mean, guys, we've, we've been doing this now for seven years. We've got 50 students in there. We've had one graduate college. It's been incredible. But here's, here's, here's the most amazing part in all of this is he said, keep coming. And I said, okay, well, we'll come, but you've got to give us something to do. And he's like, what if doing was just being with us? What if your doing wasn't, wasn't anything other than people like the first time we went to some of these areas, we're an hour, not even that, 45 minutes as a crow flies from one of the largest cities in the world, okay, where massive amount of white people go for sex. And we walked into some of these areas and they were literally just blowing up. I'm like, what are they saying, Pastor? She said, you're the first white people they've ever seen. I mean, talk about unreached people groups. Not that white people are the answer, but I'm, I'm amazed at how many white people go there for the wrong reasons and have ignored all the others. And so we, we said, we'll, we'll commit. We'll do this. We will, we will join in you in this way. We'll continue to do these things, and we'll start the scholarship system. We had no idea what we were doing. In fact, we were doing such a poor job. It was funny. The first year, we got 15 kids in, in school, and we were super excited, and they had a meal every single day. And then we went there, and, and we said, what are you guys doing? Why are all the scholar kids here? It's like, oh, we're... Scholars don't eat during the summer. They have the meal that you give them during the school year, but they don't eat during the summer. And I was like, are you kidding me? How did we miss that? And so we said, we, we should have we thought of this. Why didn't, we, why didn't you tell us this? And like, you guys do so much. We don't want to ask. We don't want to burden you. And I said, no, you don't understand. $5 mocha kind of people, okay? $5 mocha kind of people. We have more money than we know what to do with, and most of it's spent on our comfort. I think we can spare a few more bucks, so he said, what would it take for us to do a summer feeding program then? So where you guys could, could every, every single summer, could take the scholars, and not only the scholars, but their families as well, and invite them in to have a meal. And he said, well, I don't know, about 1000 bucks. Okay, great. And it's now $1,500 because of the students. 
And so that's something we give every single year. And then we got about three years in, and we realized, you know, as we start working through this, we start seeing some things. We, one, of the, one of the people that went with us said, hey, what if we started a microloan system? Similar to what Kiva or some of those other organizations are doing. Like, what if we just, we just had some seed money and kind of threw it out, and you could start in, in, empowering your, your people in your church, the women and the children and the, and the men, to, to get jobs or to start businesses to create some income? And he said, he said that would be an amazing idea. I said, could you, could you oversee that? And he said, yeah. So we put $2,000 in it, and last year it had $4,500 in it. No one else put any more money in it. That was all money from the people that they keep doing it over and over and over again. Some 30 businesses have started. Only two have have defaulted. In fact, three of the businesses are the largest donors to the church. Three of them actually removed their kids from scholarship because they started out as scholarship kids, but we're making enough money to carry for their own kids now. So I said, okay, so we don't need to keep giving to that. You got, he's like, no, we're good. In fact, the people that did the microloan system asked if we could start charging them a little bit of interest so that we could build it some more. And so we started seeing these things. And then we went there and said, okay, let's do a medical trip. And I was super excited going, okay, when we show up and we're going to be here and we're going to do medical with you guys and we were going to come and help you. And we brought doctors and, and nurse practitioners and nurses and we were doing all those things. And then me being the holy person I am, I'm like, you know, we should probably be ready to pray for these people. We should probably be ready to pray for, you're going to have hundreds of people coming from this really, really poor community to the church for medical needs. We should be praying for them. And I was thinking this in my head, and I was like, hey, what are they doing up there, Pastor? What are, what are those, those people doing up there, the scholars, parents, and all these people? Oh, they're training. I was like, what's their training for? Well, they're going to pray with everyone that comes. You know, he said, Brent, what's crazy is, is that one right there, those, those, those. None of them knew the Lord a year ago. But through the scholarship and through God, what God has done, they're all faithful believers now, and they're going to be the ones sharing the gospel to these people coming for health. And so what God has done through us, through you, through our small little bit of effort, he has multiplied it immensely. And what I love is that when I go there, it's not like, hey, here's what we do. In fact, we took John last year, and John specifically, because John, I don't know if you know John, he was raised in India. So he was raised, like, when we took him to the Philippines, he's like, hey, this looks like home. Like, that was kind of how he was, right? So we took him and said, hey, I want you to to look at this from the lens of being the kid that that missionaries came to and said, let let us us see, like, are are we... doing the right things? Is the impact happening? Are we just kind of a, a meal ticket to these people? And John, I mean, you'll have to ask him. He'll be here the rest of the day. But his encouragement was, this is so amazing. Not what we were doing, but so amazing how God is in this and how God is being glorified through all this. And it's not a, look, here's our money. It's a, here's our brothers and sisters. And so we continue to do that. We continue to commit ourselves to that. And every year in April, we, we say we're going to fundraise. We're going to raise money to support the following school year. So we actually just had the money taken over to them. So they, um, the next school year starts in June. They already have that money. So when we raise money today, starting today, we're raising money for the following June school year. At that point, it's 31 high school students, 16 elementary students, and three college students is what we will have for the following year. And so in every April we say, hey, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Instead, we've always kind of just packed it on, but I felt like I needed to stop and say, look, there, there's a reason why this, this is important for us to spend the day talking about it. Because I think too often we can get stuck in that this is, this is too big of a problem. Or we can get stuck in a, I'm going to throw some money at it. I remember about my fourth trip there, I remember telling my wife, I said, you know, I hope, I hope I'm not jaded or numb to this. I don't want to be numb to this. I don't want to show up and be like, yep. The smells hit me again. There it is. You know, sewage in the streets. Awesome. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want my heart to still be broken. And I think because what William said to me one time, he said, if you keep coming, your heart will stay broken. And if your heart's broken, then the Lord has your attention. 
and you'll never, ever leave us. And so I remember going, and at that time we had uh, our youngest daughter was about seven months old. Her name was Priscilla. You've probably seen her if you've been in this church, right? Um, anyways, uh, she was seven months old, and I left, and we were there. And I remember we were, it was one of the medical trips, and they said, okay, well, so we need to go out and find some of the parents and some of these other people to see if we can get their kids into the medical and do those things. And so one of the areas that we always go to is, is there's this bridge that a lot of them people live. In fact, this is Princess right here. She's one of our scholars. She lives on the side of a bridge in a six-by-six six tarp with, with five other people. And so we go to this bridge, and on the other side of the bridge is kind of this, this under, like, this, I don't know, this tunnel that, that when that wall you saw us walking on, when the water fills up, it kind of fills this area. People live in that bridge. They live there, and then they have to vacate any time tide comes in. And I remember walking, and we were talking to people, and we were praying with scholars, and we were trying to say, hey, we got medical, come over here. A lot of the times, the ministry that we have there, by the way, William just will say, hey, Brian, go stand over there. And so I'll just kind of stand. I'm like, what am I doing right here? And then all of a sudden, people start coming, and then he starts sharing the gospel. And I'm like, oh, I'm a prop. Okay, I get it. All right, I'm cool with that. I'll just stand here. I'll, I'll hand out some lollipops and be a prop. You share the gospel. This is perfect. And we were down there, and I remember coming, and it was just super hot because it's always hot there. And, and I remember coming down, climbing down the bridge. like, let's go see if there's anyone down there. They probably will need, you know, some, some care. And there's no, no parents around, but there's this little girl right here, seven months old, seven months old. My Priscilla is seven months old, and she has a crib and a room. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, where, where are her parents? And pastor's like, they're, they're probably working. Well, who's watching her? There's, there's no one around, and she's just hanging in this little basket. And every kid, child there, they, they don't believe in waste, or actually they just can't afford it, but diapers are a luxury. So they just keep them a shirt on and keep them naked below so they don't have to change diapers. And one of the nurses with me, she said, this poor little girl has the worst bladder infection I've ever seen. Just by the first glance, I lost it. Like, I didn't, like, weep, I ugly cried. You know, like, like inconsolable. I was like, man, my, my daughter's got a crib, diapers, She's got medical care just because she was born in America. And this little girl has nothing. She has a chair or a swing in the sun on the bottom of her bridge and a massive bladder infection. And God just crushed me. And I remember asking, God, what do you, what do you want from me? What do, you, what do you want to do? Is this like, I was, I was mad at him for crushing me when I just asked him to not let me become so, like, jaded or, or complacent in this, right? That's my own sins and struggle. I said, what do you want from me? And I felt like the Lord was very clear. Just stay the course, Brent. Just stay true. Just share. You don't need to solve this. You don't need to, to, to reconcile. See, because so many of us would say, I'm just going to stop buying mochas for $5. I'm going to give every one of those $5 mochas to someone in need. And, and yes, that would do something, I'm sure. And, and probably all of us could do with less mocha drinking. I'll admit that, okay? But see, the problem is that when we start thinking like that, we stop saying, staying in the tension, and I think so often God wants us to be in the tension because he knows when we're staying in the tension and we can't solve it, we're ready to say, God, send me. Do what you need to do. Whatever is necessary, I'm yours. If we just start throwing money at it, we can kind of appease our soul. Okay, here we go. Here we go. And, and money makes a huge difference. It makes a massive difference. Like I said, it gets these kids to school. This, this is the thing. 65 kids that would have never had an education that were at risk of being trafficked have no chance of being trafficked because they're getting an education and they've come to know Jesus Christ. This is a community that's changing. I'm, I'm telling you, I, the, from where it was a year, when I first went to where it is now, God is, is doing a massive thing in Novotis. And I, I look forward to seeing 10 years from now, seeing a community drastically changed, not because of us doing anything, but because God is faithful to do what he promises to do when his children are faithfully obedient to the spirit of God inside of them. And so I said, I feel like we're supposed to stay the course. 
So why do it? Why continue to give to so people, people so far away? Because God has stirred and he's commanded us to meet this need. When the Spirit of God stirs, he isn't just showing you informa- for information. Why do this in the middle of still needing money for our Deeper Roots fundraiser? Because we'll never, ever, ever, ever stop to just look for ourselves when there are so many other brothers and sisters in need. So would you pray about going? We're going to do a trip in January, February. We're going to take 15 to 20 people. Um, pray about going. First, I want to say this. If you're like, man, I just want to go because I'm emotionally charged, great. Let, let the stirring in the spirit happen. But the first question you will get asked by me, if you put your name on that list out of that table, is how are you going here? What's God doing in you locally right now? Because if you're just, if you're just complacent and lazy and, and sitting on your, on, your, on your hands and not doing much for the gospel here today and you want to go do it in the Philippines, I care too much about the relationship there for people to get a checked box in their missions, in their missions belt. Because you go once, I guarantee your Facebook will get obliterated and you'll have 1,500 Facebook friends from the Philippines that will literally every single day wave, hey, 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 hey. So if, if, you're, not, if you're not actively in the gospel today here, then, then let the stirring that God's doing in you activate you today. Why, why here? Why is this us? Look, I believe that when God stirs in us, he doesn't stir in us just to, to confound us or to make us feel paralyzed by what we can't do. Instead, he's saying, I want to do something in you and through you for my glory. Would you act in sacrificial obedience to me? We made this year, we said this year we're going we're gonna to commit to being, being a year where we're going to talk about what does it mean to sacrifice and obedience. What does it mean for us to be truly obedient to what God is commanding of us? And some of you, that means you need to go. Some of that means you, mean is you need to go to your next dorm room. Some of it means you need to go at work. Some of it you are. You're supposed to go. You're supposed to go meet William and Mercy and Princess and all these people that you keep seeing. She's a lot bigger than that now. Some of you, you just need to actually start praying. And not the kind of prayer that makes you feel good that you said something, but the kind of prayer that, that says, God, wreck me as I pray for these people. With the belief that your prayers are actually going to do something, which is what we're going to do. And this is going to be awkward. And I get it. I get it. This is going to be a struggle. In just a moment, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to pray. We're going to just break up in groups. This is, I know it's church. You're like, wait, we're all facing this way. We'll figure it out, okay? We're going to spend some time praying. Not just for William and Mercy and the Goombas in the Philippines, but for your own heart. The reason why we didn't take an offering after and we did it beforehand is because I don't want people to give emotionally. I don't want us to give emotionally because, again, emotionally it just solves the tension of $5 mocha and $5 freedom. I believe God will stir in us emotionally, and that's great, but I want us to act in obedience. And so I want you to pray. I want you to be prayerful. I want you to say, no, I, like, what do you want from me, God? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to give? Do you want me to pray? Do you want me to pray and give and go? What do you want from me? And some of you, you need to just ask the Lord to break your heart for those he has around you. Like, have you, have you lost sleep? This is, this is one of the things that plagued me all week as I was praying this. When's the last time I lost sleep for my sister who doesn't know Jesus? If the, if the gospel's the only thing that brings hope, not food, not not being enslaved, but the only thing that truly brings a lasting hope in life is the gospel. We should be enamored with the gospel and faithfully, faithfully praying for our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors that don't know Jesus. I mean, we're about to talk about Easter, the resurrection. Jesus didn't resurrect so we can just feel good and sit in a seat. He resurrected for life and freedom and hope. So we're going to break up just in groups around you. You don't even have to know anyone. Don't even say your names. You don't even have to talk to it. I want to give you guys an opportunity just to confess. Some of you need to say, you know what, I have no heart for this. In fact, right now when I hear this, it's like, oh, great, they're asking for more money. And I just see myself getting jaded and jaded and jaded. Pray for me to be broken. Some of you like, are like, 
I can't end soon enough and you want to get your name on that seat. Like you need to confess that and say, I, want to, I only want to go if the Lord wants me to. So would you please just pray for my heart in that? And some of you are like, man, I have been spending way too much money on myself and I know that God is commanding me to give to this generously. Would you pray that I don't, I don't shortchange that one penny? And some of you, like, I don't know, almost two-thirds of the people that have gone with us to the Philippines have moved into missions. <laughs> Literally at full time, they're gone. Some of you, God's stirring in that way. The same way that God was stirring my wife nine years ago, saying, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. So maybe you need to confess that. So we're going to end here. In the second, the band will come up and pray for us to close us, and then we'll continue to worship. Um, on your way out, you're welcome. You will get handed a card that you can say, we didn't actually commit to any money. We put the, how much money is needed for each one, but we just said, I'm committing one time or I'm or monthly for one year. You can pick the dollar amount, whatever you want to do. Um, and you can put that back in the offering or at the table. We'll have a bunch of people that have been to the Philippines that are out of the table. You can ask some questions from them after worship is done. But let's spend some time praying. Let me pray for us to pray. God, I pray that as we get ready to pray, I pray that we wouldn't worry about the awkwardness. I can think of the introverts in here right now that their palms are sweating. God, this is your kingdom. This is your church. This is your body. We don't need to be afraid of confessing and repenting to your body. In fact, you tell us that when we confess, we are healed. And so, God, I pray that we would, we would pray right now, and I pray that you would do a mighty work through our prayer, not through anything else, but just through the prayer, because we know that it's only you that does this work. God, thank you for the Goombas. Thank you for Fishers of Christ Alliance Church. Thank you for knocking me off my comfortable spot those years ago. And God, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for the countless amount of people that have continued to get baptized and come to know you because of the faithfulness of a few here in Boise, Idaho. We praise you, Jesus, for what you're doing. We pray for more. We pray that we would never um, get in the way of what you're doing. And God, we pray that we would be faithfully obedient, sacrificially obedient to whatever you're commanding of us, and we wouldn't be hesitant in that. We wouldn't delay. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.